First Church Charlotte. All right. Again, great to see you all. Great to do life and ministry and church and Bible study with you. We are continuing in the book of Mark, and we are at that place where Jesus assured his disciples that there is no one, this is verse 29, chapter 10, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels, they shall not receive a hundredfold. That's the context. That's where we were last week. Now let's go to verse number 32. I am going to place you there. So if you don't have your Bibles open on your lap, you will have it on the screen with you. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed him, they were afraid. Then they took the tw- then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, scourge him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, if the words on your screen do not exactly match what I'm reading, it's because I am I have ESV on your screen and I am reading from the New King James Version. For clarity, let's switch to ESV and I'll read what is on your screen. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, for it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, and when the and when the ten heard it, my wife just told me there's no words on the screen. Apologies for that. I thought there were. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, this passage that we have read together is not without considerable spiritual and theological weight. None of us can rush through these words and pretend as though they do not speak 
to the very worst of us and the best of us. The selfishness that represents the worst of me has to listen to these words. And the call of God on my life that represents perhaps the best of me has to listen to these words because these are words that demand a response on our behalf. They demand consideration if you're going to take them seriously. Uh, I want to uh, point out a couple things to start with. And the first thing I would like to point out is in verse number 32, where Jesus evidently is hurrying to Jerusalem, leading them. They are following him and they are amazed. The scripture doesn't exactly tell us why they were amazed other than to place in our imagination imagination, this image of Jesus leading them to Jerusalem and them being amazed. Uh, Remember, he has told them twice and he's about to tell them again right here in verse 32, 33, 34 that In Jerusalem, he's going to die. And yet it does not seem to stop his motivation. I don't know about you, but um, even if I'm willing to suffer, I'm not very excited about it. Even if I am willing to, you know, go on a fast, get up early and pray, go to the gym and work hard. Even if I'm willing, I'm not particularly excited about it, do you see? And here, Jesus seems to have... Um, a hurry on him. He seems to have a press in his spirit. He seems to have a willingness to go to the very place of his suffering and death. And the disciples are amazed by that. And so he tells them for the third time, and this is all in the context of the last two Bible lessons we've done, uh, chapter number 10 of the Gospel of Mark. And he now having amazed them with his willingness to go, He is approached by James and John. Now, this is not the James that would later write the book of James. This is the James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And here, it's easy to think in terms of James, the brother of Jesus, who would later become the pastor of the church or the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. This is James, the disciple, not James, the brother of Jesus, the New Testament author. Uh, They come to Jesus with a request that it seems uh, very much a statement of vainglory within them, this desire for the spotlight, this hunger for the microphone, this desire to be elevated with, with God. But before we write it off too quickly and smile in some religiously superior way as if we would never do that. Uh, I want to remind you of how many times you have gone private, privately to the Lord and you've said some version of this, Lord, use me for your glory. <laughs> Lord, whatever you need to do, however you need to lead, let your gifts work within me. Let the gifts of the spirit work within me. And I would suggest to you, um, although that feels different because it's in prayer and this seems more opportunistic because it is here before Jesus, 
it's essentially the same thing. It's essentially the same request that would be asked that the Lord would somehow use us for his glory, elevate us along with his spiritual elevation uh, to let us have impact, to let us make a difference. They believe in Jesus. They believe where Jesus is going. And notice that they don't do this before he tells them of the cross. They do this right after he tells them of the cross for the third time. I think there is some zeal within them that is honorable. I think there is some hunger within them that is notable. And I would in no regard uh, be quick to just dismiss them and their zeal. However, Jesus knows their heart, whereas I just have the text to read and review. And this is what Jesus knows about his heart. Um, in worldly kingdoms, in earthly kingdoms, uh, it is so that there is a certain, how shall we say, elevation of people in this world. Verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, Lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Jesus knows their heart. And he is able to discern that they are seeking a place of importance in the kingdom he is bringing to the earth. They are willing to risk life and limb. They're willing to follow him even to Jerusalem. They just want it to mean something. They want their life to mean something. They want to have an acknowledgement that they moved the needle, so to speak. That when the tree of their life and ministry fell, somebody heard it. They want it to matter. I am not at all unsympathetic to this reality uh, in their in their hearts. I think anyone who has ever sought spiritual leadership or sought to uh, pastor, to lead, to do a small group, whatever the case, I think it is a very natural thing for us. It's not so much that we aren't willing to give. We just, we, we want some, we want some credit. Now, I know that sounds bad, and I know as soon as I say that, there'll be some part of your heart saying, oh, no, not not me. No, I would never. Okay, you would never. But uh, if you give enough, you want it to, you want the tree to fall and someone to hear it. If you give something up, you want it to mean something. Um, you're willing to work, but you want it to move the needle, so to speak, of that which you intended from the beginning to do. Uh, to have given all and to fall into history like a forgotten page in a library, to be laid in a grave, uncelebrated, unmarked, unnoticed. Your flesh has a problem with that because your flesh is always asking your faith questions. Your flesh is always asking your faith questions. How do you know? Are you sure? What if you're wrong? So-and-so doesn't believe anymore. So-and-so quit the church. 
so-and-so lost their way. What if it doesn't matter? Your flesh is always asking questions of your faith and you have to answer them. And one of the ways we answer the questions of our flesh to our faith is to make sure that we did something that mattered. We did something that mattered. I think the, the saddest reality in a war of that is a part of human politics is to be the last soldier to kill, to be killed in a war that no one was fighting for anymore. Does that make sense? The war is over, but the news hasn't gotten to your part of the front yet. And you fall to a, 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 a sniper bullet. And the peace has already been declared. There are literally soldiers who died after VE Day of World War II because the news was slow in arriving and they were still fighting on the front. No one wants to die a meaningless death. Here, Jesus, you're talking about sacrifice and sorrow. We heard you. Will you let us be on the right and left? Whenever this kingdom thing comes, whenever there is a celebration to go along with the tears, will you let us be there? Will you let us be a part of it? And Jesus points this out to them. Uh, your opportunity for kingdom advancement, your opportunity for a kingdom progress, your opportunity to rise to preeminence in this kingdom is actually pursued in the exact opposite direction of what you think it is. The way to be seen is not to push to the front of the crowd. The way to be seen in God's eyes is to push someone else to the front of the crowd. This goes against everything our flesh thinks it knows about the nature and the order of uh, the world as we have experienced it. But in this kingdom, it's better to give than to receive. And Jesus says, it will not be so among you. It will not be so among you. I know how it is in the world. I know that those who are great, they, they're the ones elevated. But among you, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, the New King James says, shall be servant uh, to all. Uh, this is... Uh, fundamental and this is necessary all of us trying to understand the kingdom of god we could quote this to ourselves every day truly we could quote this passage to ourselves every day and we starting with me would struggle to live it we could put it in our prayer every morning we could pray at the rising of the sun and the going down of the same, and we would still struggle to live it. Say you gave everything. Let's put it in the context of a small group. There's going to be somebody somewhere that you know that they didn't pray, serve, give, cook, work, show up as much as you, but their group is going to seem to succeed. And you're going to say, I have given all like Peter. Do you see the challenge? We can quote it every morning. We can sing it every night, but it's still going to be hard to live. 
And all we can choose to do with the theological depths that are shown in scriptures like this is to live it out as an act of worship, to live it out as a submission to God and his will, and to remind ourselves that we're not going to understand it. Our calculating brains are not going to understand it. The only way it's going to be seen in our spirit is if we offer it as an act of worship unto God. I feel that in my spirit. I'm sure you feel it in yours. And I'm praying with you. In fact, let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we pray that we could live this out. We pray that we could demonstrate this in the choices of our life, whether it's in service, whether it's in spotlight, whether it's in sorrow or joy, that we could have a desire for the people in our lives to be blessed, served, and honored before us. And if we fail to understand it in the carnal calculus of our minds, I pray, O oh God, that we in some way could at least offer it to you as worship every day, choosing your kingdom over this kingdom in Jesus' name. When they ask him this question, and I have two images I want to have you consider with me before we uh, finish up our study time here together. These two images. The first one is in verse number 38. And do you not know, you do not know what you ask. This is Jesus speaking to them. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Two images given to us in scripture, not explained, but given as image. Now, I, if you have been around my teaching at all, you have heard me repeatedly talk about how we have to be comfortable with learning from symbol uh, because the word of God is filled with spiritual and theological symbolism. Whether it's the dove of the Holy Spirit, the very act of water baptism, uh, the surrendering of one's tongue as the utterance of the Holy Spirit flows through them. None of those things in themselves are what it's about, but those things in the symbol they represent is everything of what it's about. Uh, so it is with the Lord's Supper. It's not the wine. It's not the bread. Uh, it's the blood and the body. This is a symbol that speaks to us through the uh, the insight of theology and the understanding of spiritual teaching that's given to us in the scripture. These images are not explained, but they are given. As if the Lord says, uh, you guys want to try to understand this? Uh, here's a couple of images for you. The first is the cup I drink. Now, let me real quick talk about the image of the cup and the spiritual significance of the cup. Let me start first by reminding you of uh, tradition in uh, the ancient Hebrews. And that was when a Hebrew man and woman were uh, to be betrothed. Um, they would not ask in the manner we ask where we have this type of cultural image of a man with a ring on a knee saying, will you marry me? Uh, that's not what they did. First, there were negotiations among the parents. 
But then there was a formal act between the man and the woman uh, together. And that act was this. The groom poured wine into a cup and invited the woman to drink from it. And she, it was up to her, at least in symbol, remember these marriages are arranged, at least in the symbol, it's up to her if she drank from the cup, she was considered betrothed to him. In other words, in the manner that we get on one knee with the ring, this is part of the acting out of ceremonial uh, betrothment. Uh, the man pours a glass of wine for the woman and she drinks it. Um, this image you will find repeatedly in the scripture, uh, the idea of a cup, David in the Psalms, uh, at least once, I think more, but at least once, refers to a cup that he had to drink, a cup of sorrow, a cup of suffering that he would have to drink. All of you know the story of Gethsemane, where Jesus desires not to drink this cup of suffering and sorrow. All of you remember the Passover dinner where they will drink together of the cup. Jesus gives them this cup uh, to drink. Uh, the New Testament church continued this image, this teaching image of scripture. Uh, let me give you some example. Uh, remember the image I gave you of the man pouring wine for the woman and her drinking it as a statement of a symbol of betrothal? Second Corinthians 11 and 2, the apostle Paul writes, for I am jealous for you with godly jealous jealousy for I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Uh, this same image, Jesus with his disciples, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins uh, and more. First Corinthians 10, uh, 21 and 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Uh, there's, there's more. There is a cup of Babylon uh, talked about, Revelation 17. And that cup and that representing the culture of it is a, a, a spiritual abomination uh, unto the Lord. And on and on this image of a, a cup a, that is more than anything else accepting uh, a betrothal of sorts and more a willingness to drink all of it, not just the sweetness of it, not just the good, but just as we would say in marriage for better or worse, that is what we say uh, to the Lord. That is how we confess ourselves to the Lord. Can you drink this cup? There is a uh, blessing in the cup, yes. There is spiritual covering and redemptive mercy in the cup, yes. But there's also sorrow in the cup. Can you drink the cup? Um, there is a surrender of your way and will to God's way and will. That's in the cup. This image will be doubly reinforced in the next chapter when we read together the Lord, then partaking of the Lord's Supper uh, together. Uh, this image is very much given to the, these, these two disciples in this very moment. Can you do it? 
think about it, count the cost. The second image is baptism. Now, baptism uh, is very much uh, in this context should be understood in how the Jews saw baptism because there was no Christian baptism as of yet. There was only the baptism of John the Baptist and there was the baptism in Hebrew tradition. And so when Jesus says to these two disciples, can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They don't hear that as a Christian hears this later when we have a Christian baptism uh, that is an act of remission of sins, yes, but more, spiritual adoption, taking upon the Lord's name. And here is the thing I want you to get. The third element for us, for baptism, uh, is that public statement of different life, different way chosen. That's what a baptism is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this statement you make to your world that you're starting all, all over. That is exactly how they would have understood baptism. Why? Because a baptism was done among the Jews when a new, when a non-believer, or not a non-believer, when a Gentile wanted to make conversion to the Jewish faith, or when someone had been away for many, many, for a long journey in the lands of the Gentiles, and when they came back to Jerusalem, they would be baptized. Um, it was not something the devout did. And that's why it was so notable for John the Baptist to preach baptism to everybody, to everybody. Uh, that's why it's so shocking that Jesus himself would be baptized. For the Jew, it was a statement that like a Gentile, I need to return to the embrace of the covenant. Like a Gentile, I who have been a far away need to come to back back to relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see? And so that is why the baptism of John calls controversy, or as our friends across the pond would say, controversy. <laughs> that they, the righteous, the holy, would need to humble themselves as if they weren't of the tribe of Levi, as if they didn't think that they were special kids of the covenantal type, but as if they were a sinner, just a sinner coming to God. And so if you see baptism that way, you see it as identity. I know who I am, but I'm going to change my identity to be known as one who makes profession, confession, commitment to Christ. I'm changing my identity no longer Am I just a stranger? I am now making public statement of commitment, confession. Do you see? Surrender to Almighty God. That's the baptism identity. That's how they would have seen it. So when Jesus gives them two images, the cup, can you drink all of the cup? Can you drink the bitter dregs of the cup? Do you just want the sweet top of it? Or can you take the bitter dregs of the whole cup? Can you drink it all? You don't know what you're asking, James and John. I know you mean well, but you really do not know what you are asking. And so the first image is commitment. Just how committed are you? Uh, just how committed are you? Uh, do you really want to walk this way? And the second image is, are you willing to no longer have your own life your own identity, your own dreams, plans? Would you be willing to completely start over? 
and say, my identity is in Jesus Christ. I am a Jesus follower. I am not depending on myself. I am not good in my flesh. I am a Jesus follower. That is the images that are given to us here. Verse 41, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up here soon. Uh, when the 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Uh, the competition that is in the heart of humanity uh, is never ending. Uh, the competition that is within us, it's not just in uh, the ministries of the church. Uh, pastors suffer with it probably more than, than people in the church. Uh, we want our spiritual work to be blessed. We want our church to grow. And it just kills us when someone else seems to be doing better than us. Uh, that's true confessions. And if any preacher tells you differently, I, I'm, I mean, maybe, yeah, uh, if you want to believe him. Um, but I'm telling you, uh, it's hard for any of us to see someone else getting ahead when we have a heart for it. We want to be used. We want to be there with James and John in the, in the VIP seating. <laughs> and uh, someone else is getting our VIP seat while we're stuff up, stuffed up in the nosebleed set, uh, section. Dearly beloved, these things ought not to be. Uh, but if we are primarily following God because we think it is a type of a self-promotion, um, we're going to be brokenhearted and we're going to quit. Um, if we think it's supposed to fulfill something in us, I think we, we, we misunderstand uh, the, the nature of it. Uh, it's very much about God's way. It's very much about God's calling. It's very much about God's anointing, God's kingdom. That's what it is about. And we succeed or fail in direct proportion to our ability to daily say, not my will, but thy will be done. And that means we take up a purpose that's represented in the cross. We take up a purpose and we live it out. Now, were these men, were they uh, actually seen to live out what Jesus said to them? Absolutely. Let me tell you about them. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was the first apostle martyred, uh, the very first one to die. Acts chapter number 12, he's killed by Herod. Um, Verse 2, 12 and 2, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, the Bible says. Uh, he, he was the first to go. And what's an interesting contrast is that John was the, la the last to go. The ways of God are always mysterious, and the wind blows where it will, and you do not know the coming or the going of it. James, the brother of John, is the first to go, dies at the hand of Herod in Acts 12. John is the longest lived, apparently living nearly a hundred years. However, he suffered greatly at the hand of persecutors. He spent years in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Um, one historical account says that uh, to kill him, they put him in a pot of boiling oil, but it didn't kill him. They took him out of the oil expecting him to die uh, because he had been burned, but he did not die. Uh, we, all of us, are called to a way, and God knows where the reward is. The takeaway is this. 
as long as we are concerned about rewards in the here and now, we're going to live lives of confusion. But as soon as we can say, I don't know what I'm worthy of, (laughs) I'm not worried about it. My reward is in the hereafter. Then you're able to focus on the work that is at hand and not be distracted left or right in anything else. You're able to focus on the word that is is at hand. Um, As always, I'm going to uh, give you time to ask any questions you want to ask. Um, I know a lot of times we don't have questions. Sometimes we do. It's hard to predict. But uh, we're going to spend a couple moments praying together. And if any of you want to ask a specific question uh, about this, I want to encourage you to take time to do that right now. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, as a church, we come before you and we ask for your wisdom to be placed in our hearts and in our life. As a group of people walking together in this journey, we lean on one another. We encourage one another. You have knit our lives together. You have placed us together. Lord Jesus, we want to have maturity about us, a spiritual efficiency and effectiveness about us. Lord Jesus, we want to perceive the cup and drink all of the cup, not just whisk away the best or filter out the dregs. We're willing to drink it. If there's a way outside of suffering then and it pleases you for us to avoid then uh, we will do that but if there is no way outside of suffering then give us the strength to endure it as good soldiers of the cross or jesus uh, if there's people that have fear of tribulation and trial i pray that you would give them a new strength to know that you are uh, you are well <laughs> able to bring us through whatever we face. There's nothing that we would face that uh, there is not a tremendous example of church generations before us who found in the desperate moment of fear the strength to stand for what they believed. And they left a profound testimony that resonated among the generations of the Roman Empire until the whole empire had a certain softness of heart and tenderness of spirit toward those people. Because unlike any other people on the earth, they died singing. They went through their suffering with song. They faced the wild beasts with hope. And it changed an empire. Lord Jesus, we have no desire, none of us, to go through that kind of suffering. But I pray, Lord God, that if we had the strength, if we had the if we had the need, rather, if we had the necessity. I pray that we would have the strength to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I do have one question that was asked of me earlier, and I want to end with that one question. And that knowing that we were talking about the cross, the cup, and baptism, uh, I was asked about uh, pre-tribulation versus post-tribulation, as if to say, is the Lord going to save the church from suffering uh, or is the Lord going to allow the church to go through, through suffering? Um, And I, through my years of education and through my years of Bible study, I, I want to emphasize the scriptures that can be interpreted 
to believe that the church would be taken before the tribulation. And I would quote uh, scriptures such as uh, the righteous not being appointed to wrath and, and the like. There's, uh, with a little bit of study, you can find lists of scripture uh, that speak to the church being removed early uh, from the world. However, I would be remiss to act as though that there isn't an example in the scripture of the church going through tribulation. There definitely is plenty of example of the church going through tribulation. I would be remiss if I pretended like there aren't scriptures that make us think as a church, we might go through uh, suffering. Uh, so where do I land in all of this? Um, I, I land here. Whether we are taken before, during, or after, we have been given the promise of God's presence with us. And we have been given the strength that we need to face whatever trial, whatever trauma that uncertainty in life would give us. Do you see? And I think when I live in fear of future suffering, that's not my spirit. That's my flesh. And I need to surrender that fear to God as an act of worship. And I need to say, Lord, I trust you with whatever comes. Because if you can only trust God, if you can control what comes, then you are really not surrendering, abdicating the throne to him. He's not really Lord of all if you kept an asterisk, as it were, on what he allowed you to go through. He says this to us, whatever you face, he's going to be with you. Whatever you go through, he's going to be with you. I have hope in his promise. I have hope in his presence. There's nothing going to come that has not already been considered. And I can in some way already be victorious, do you see? And this is what I want to have in my life. And this is what I want you to have in your life. A confidence that God knows what God is doing. And my job is to bear witness to what he is doing, not to judge him on what he is or has done. That's what real spiritual maturity looks like. All right, that's enough. God bless you. We love you all. We appreciate uh, your time. We appreciate your attention. Uh, we want you to have a great week and we want you to uh, walk with hope and victory in Jesus name. I've turned your microphones back on so you can greet one another. God bless you. We will see you Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.